You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. See you. I ask you to please take your Bibles or your device and go to Exodus chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning, picking up in our series on Exodus. And where we are now is the Israelites are still enslaved in Egypt, still being oppressed and treated harshly. The first Pharaoh that we heard about in chapter 1, he loved the Israelites because of Joseph. But then a new Pharaoh rises up who doesn't know Joseph and he hated them. He committed infanticide against the Israelites. That Pharaoh died. And now we're on our third Pharaoh. And this is the one that Moses puts on, that God puts Moses on a collision course with this Pharaoh and all the false gods of Egypt. And we saw at the end of last week that God heard their groaning, God heard their cries, and God remembered the promise he made to them and said, it's time to deliver them. And so the first step of God remembering his promise to the Israelites is that he calls Moses. And there's no confusing it. When God calls to a task, there's no denying and there's no downplaying it. And today, God calls Moses out in an unconventional and bizarro way. And it's because God has an unconventional and really unheard of mission for Moses. And it's also a mission that God has for you and for me. And today we see the burning bush and this bold calling. So as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, and we're going to read the whole chapter. So please follow along in your Bible, and we'll be beginning in verse 1. And our brother Moses tells us by the power of the Spirit that meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. So because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way of the, the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What should I tell them? 
God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me and said, I have paid close attention to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised you that I will bring you up from the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. They will listen to what you say. Then you, along with all the elders of Israel, must go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. However, I know that the king of Egypt He will not allow you to go, even under force from a strong hand. But when I stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the miracles that I will perform in it, after that, he will let you go. And I will give the people, these people, such favor with the Egyptians that when you go, you will not go empty handed. Each woman will ask her neighbor and any woman staying in her house for silver and gold jewelry and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. So you will plunder the Egyptians. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now. Help us see this calling, this rescue, these blessings that you give out by your mercy, by your power, by your kindness. And when we discover what it means to know God, to be called by God, to be sent by God, and to be with God and you to be with us. So help us now, King Jesus, and it's by your mighty name and in your mighty name that we pray, amen. You may be seated. I think we would all agree that pyromaniacs are pretty concerning. And I'm really worried about the little kids that I see on their first birthday and they get to see their little candle flickering and their instinct is to reach out and touch it. They've got to pray for those kids and what their life's going to turn into And also, I think we probably all feel a little bit like Tom Hanks in Castaway when he makes fire. I don't know what it is. I don't know if ladies are like this. I I don't think so. But when guys get around a bonfire, it's like better than TV all of a sudden. All we do is just stare at the fire. We don't even talk anymore. We just kind of grunt and stare at the fire. Just some twigs some logs and a flame, and we are drawn to it and just stare at it. And this, is, this has been the case for centuries because we just read about a man back in ancient Middle East. Moses does the same thing. He sees a fire and goes, I got to look at it. And he goes because he's a bro. Look at verse 3. Look. So Moses thought, he sees this burning bush. I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't this bush burning up? He knows I am either seeing something remarkable or these Midianites, they slip something into my coffee. I don't know what's going on here. But here's what we see is what is happening. God is at work. And God calls Moses to himself and to a mission. And listen, beloved, God does the same thing for us. 
God has called us to himself and to his mission. So here's Moses. Look at, look at verse 1. Moses is shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He leads them out into the wilderness. He's minding his own business, just shepherding the flock. And it says, he brings them to the far side and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Most Bible translations have a little footnote there and say, this is another name for Sinai. He's at Mount Sinai. And if, and if you're not that familiar with the book of Exodus, Mount Sinai is significant. Tons of stuff happens at this mountain. Later, they will receive the Ten Commandments from this mountain. God meets with the people on this mountain, so Moses is already there. And little does Moses know, his life is about to change forever on this mountain. This is what some scholars describe in this chapter as, this is kind of Moses' conversion moment with God. Look at what happens, verse 2. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. And Moses looked and he saw the bush was not on fire, it was, was on fire, but not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't it burning up? Now the angel of the Lord, this is, now the word angel, it doesn't always mean um, people with wings and halos on. The word plainly means messenger. And the angel of the Lord in the scriptures, this is not just your average angel. This is God himself. This is a member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. And we know this is God himself because of verse 4. Look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, who speaks from the bush? It's not an angel. It's not Gabriel. It's not Michael. It's not a megaphone from God, a wire and a tin can. It's none of that. God called out to him from the bush. God is speaking. This is God himself speaking, not a Skype call from heaven. This is divine sound waves emanating from these flames. So what we have here is the presence of God serving as a mediator, interacting between God and man. God to Moses. Friends, this is Jesus himself. This is pre-human, pre-Christmas Jesus. Before he put on a human body that we see in the Gospels. The eternal son of God. Here, speaking to Moses, bringing a message from the triune God, and God is speaking from the shrub, from a shrub that's not getting charred or destroyed. And you got to get out of Bible land and imagine this as best as you can. And feel free to admit, if you've ever set a Christmas tree on fire, it is awesome. It's amazingly dangerous and spectacular all at once. Now, imagine that tree on fire all the hisses, the pops, and sparkles, but it's not getting burned. It's not charring. You would be blown away. Like, this is unreal. Your attention would be gotten. Just like if you know, those papers you had to write in high school and in college, where it's like, make sure you have an attention getter. God's like, I got a great attention getter. I'm going to break the laws of physics and fire right now. I'm going to bend them to my will. And he gets Moses' attention where he's like, whoa. And he goes over and looks. And what does he see? I think God shows Moses, and he's showing us a little snapshot of what it's like to be with God. God is dangerous, but he doesn't harm us. God takes over this shrub, this bush, and he it just takes over it, but he doesn't burn it. And he doesn't, it doesn't spread and doesn't harm Moses. Just like in the Chronicles of Narnia, Lucy asks about Aslan the lion. Is he, 
Is he good? Is he safe? Is what she asks. The response she gets is, he is good, but he is not safe. Fire is good, but it is not safe. It can either purify you or it can destroy you. And this is the way of God. If you are against him and you, you fight him, he is a consuming fire. But if you humble yourself and you believe in him, you trust him and you follow him and you listen to him, he is a purifying presence, a powerful presence with you. And so God speaks to him from the fire. Moses, verse 4. Moses, can you imagine shrubbery knowing your name? Let alone calling out to you. And he talks to it. Here I am. I don't think I would talk back. I would run, hide, wonder if Jethro's pulling a prank on me. Especially after what the burning bush says. Verse five, do, don't take one more step. Don't, don't, hey, I call for you, but you stay there. Don't come closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for where you are standing is holy ground. Now you can imagine life in the wilderness, walking with sheep, the kind of smells that would be on Moses' feet how dirty his sandals would be and what he had stepped in along the way. And God says, you're in the presence of God, buddy. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, Jacob. And what does Moses do instinctively? The end of verse, the end of verse six. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He knows now I am in the presence of something amazing. This is no longer just some interesting sight. Oh, this is cool, like some kind of party trick. This bush isn't setting on fire. No. He knows I'm now somewhere life-changing. And it's really easy to look at an account like this and go, man, that'd be so cool to see and to, to see this burning bush and to hear these words and to hear God speak to me. But listen, beloved, when you read the Bible and you go to Bible studies and you come to church on Sunday morning and you talk about God in your small groups, you aren't just studying some interesting tidbits from an ancient book. You are meeting with the almighty, holy God. You have approached holy ground. And reverence and awe should rise as we hear the words and as we sing to God and as we speak about God to one another. We are in a holy moment every time. And God speaks to him and says, I've seen the oppression and slavery of my people. I see their problems. I see their pain. And he says in verse 8, I have come down. This is why I'm here right now in this burning bush. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them to a good and spacious land. God says, I'm here now. I'm here to deliver them, to redeem them from the grasp of wickedness. Pharaoh's got a lot of power. I have more. They're in his clutches, stuck in his wickedness, and I will set them free. And I hope that as you read that and heard that, that you realize this is not some isolated event. Sometimes a lot of people think, oh, the God of the Old Testament, he's so like angry and so much power. He's saying, I am here. I'm here to rescue. God's rescue efforts aren't new in the New Testament. They're here. This is always God's MO. And we see it in the New Testament. That if you are stuck in the clutches of wickedness, you're stuck in misery. You're stuck in the oppression of sin and pain. Know this. This is not the only time God has intervened to set people free. Jesus, God the Son, 
says, I have come down to rescue sinners. He lived among us in the first century to rescue any sinner who looks to him. He leaves the throne and he sweeps a carpenter shop for 30 years and taught that if anyone will trust in his death, trust in his resurrection, you will be rescued from oppression, from misery. Your sins will be forgiven. So he was nailed to a cross for this exact purpose and rose from the dead for this exact purpose, to rescue from the power of sin, Satan, and death, and the wrath of God to come. And his rescue, listen, the rescue didn't only just break the chains of, of sin. Just like God's rescue of the Israelites didn't just break the chains of their slavery in Egypt, he leads them into a glorious new reality. A glorious newness is what God offers his people. Look at what he says. Where is he going to take them? Out of that land, verse 8, I'm going to bring them from that land in Egypt to a good and spacious land. How good? A land flowing with milk and honey. That sounds like a cereal commercial. Every bite flowing with milk and honey. You would buy that. And that's exactly what God is saying. The way your kids light up on the cereal aisle and the way your kids light up on the candy aisle at the grocery store, God says, this is how you should think about the promised land. This phrase means the land is, has exquisite living conditions. Milk, a land flowing with milk means what? There's a lot of cattle and there's a lot of room and there's going to be a lot of beef, a lot of great food, a lot of land flowing with honey, prime soil, great vegetation, lots of flowers, lots of great beautiful sights, lots of sweet fruits and more. This is what's being communicated, not just we're well stocked on milk and honey. It's a prime place to live. And this isn't the heresy of skim milk either. Or milk that's not milk, soy, hemp, almond, none of that weird stuff. This is vitamin D all day. In fact, I want to encourage you in the Lord to go to the store and buy some promised land milk this week. That is an actual brand from heaven. Get it. And get the chocolate one. It's amazing. It's biblical. This a land flowing with milk and honey, this is the Old Testament way of saying there are lots of fats and sugars here. The, the U.S. government food pyramid is flipped upside down at this place. You'll be eating good and living good. Because God, God is saying, I'm taking you from pain and oppression, and I'm taking you to paradise. He has a glorious destiny for them. And he does you too. This is the way slaves are set free. Not given a couple acres and called three quarters of a human being, but given freedom, given paradise, given an inheritance. And this is what God promises you too, brothers and sisters. And if you aren't familiar with Exodus, it, they really don't get there. It takes a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, a lot of trials, a, a lot of disobedience, a lot of journeying. In fact, you could even argue they're not there today. And we aren't there either. We do, the, America is not the promised land, even though it feels like H-E-B's got us really close. But we will be there one day. When Jesus returns and he makes the earth new and we live forever with him, after Judgment Day, we live forever in the new Jerusalem. 
where now everything is the promised land. And we will be up to our eyeballs in milk and honey, fats and sugars, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Because Jesus sets us free. And Jesus wins us the paradise and his life, death, and resurrection. And this is when now Moses hears God continue to pop and crackle about how this promise is going to be fulfilled. Look at verse 10. Therefore, since I'm going to do this, go. I'm sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people out of Egypt. I'm sending you. Not this burning bush, not an angel, but you. Go talk to Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler in the world, this leader of this superpower. You talk to him. I mean, how big do you think Moses' eyes got at this point? How far did his jaw drop? You want me to go and confront Pharaoh? Tell him, hey, you need to let your entire slave labor force go, okay? God says yes. How daunting is this mission? Hey, the flaming shrub told me to come talk to you. And beloved, I wonder if you realize that God has called you for nearly the exact same thing. He's called you to speak light into darkness. He's called you to tell little kids in your home as they're being discipled by the world, by cartoons, by TV, by commercials, everything's discipling us. And he's called you to tell them Jesus loves them and will save them from their sins. He's called you to tell friends and family and Uber drivers and hairstylists about the promises and power of a crucified and risen Lord Jesus. Peter tells us, you Christians, us, you are a chosen race. These are all Israelite, Exodus-like themes. You are a royal priesthood. You are the holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. Why? So we could have great church services on Sunday mornings? Not entirely so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So just like Israel, brothers and sisters, you belong to God. You are his elect exiles, and to proclaim his praises. All he's saying is, just make known why God should be praised. He's not saying that you need to know why the Bible should be trusted because of all the latest archaeological evidence found in first century Israel. No, I'm not calling you to know all the reasons how you can prove evolution on this one point is wrong. So make that known. No, make known just why God should be praised. Make known why you praise God. That he rescued you from sin, Satan, and death. And that he rescued you not just by snapping his fingers, but by a Roman cross being snapped into the ground as the Son of God hung on it. As blood was spilled out paying for your sins as a stack of folded-up grave clothes was left on Easter Sunday. God called Moses for a mission, and he's called you and me for one, too. I don't know, we all want to be more evangelistic. I've never met a Christian that's like, no, I feel pretty good. I think I'm evangelistic enough. No one's ever felt that way. We all want to be bolder. We all want to be more courageous, and it seems daunting. It seems daunting to tell people to think, hey, you should turn to God. Even though you don't think he's real, you should turn to him. You, you should believe in Jesus whom you've never seen. It is daunting. And do you think it was easy for Moses to say, yeah, this burning agriculture, agriculture sent me to you? No. And I know we feel like you don't know enough. You aren't savvy enough. You don't know how to address all the object, objections that people bring up. But listen, this will help you. 
Your calling isn't about you. Your calling's not about you. The mission's not about you or me. Mission of living isn't about us, what we know, how gifted we are, or anything. I love, as Matt Chandler says, God doesn't need you to be awesome because he's already awesome. Once we realize that you don't need to be something for God to do something for God, you will be set free to serve God. You don't need to be something to do something for God. And once you know that God doesn't need superstars, you'll be set free. So no, God doesn't need superstars. Look at verse 11. You see Moses' response to this? I'm not a superstar. Verse 11. Who am I? But Moses says, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I'm a wanted criminal back in Egypt. That I should bring the Israel. Why me? I really don't think this is humility. I think it's pride wearing a humble Halloween costume. Like we're all great at doing. Who am I? I'm nobody. I'm not cut out for this. I got run out of Egypt. I'm not the guy. Acts 7 tells us Moses was raised in Egypt, and he has all the best learning possible. He would have been trained in every educational category available at this time. He would be one of the smartest, brightest, well-thought-out guys available. Who am I? I think it's a little, God, will you boost my ego a little bit? Who am I, God? Remind me. Who am I? God's response? Here, take the spiritual gifts test. Let's find out who you are. Take this Enneagram real quick. Let's find out if you're a more phlegmatic or melancholic. What does it even mean? Sounds like a, you know, you visit the doctor, phlegmatic. Let's see if you're an otter or a golden retriever. No, none of those things. God doesn't even really answer Moses. Look at God's answer, verse 12. Who, who are you, Moses? He answered, I will certainly be with you. doesn't matter who you are, Moses. Here's who you are. I'm with you. That's enough. You don't need self-discovery, Moses. You need to discover me and that I'm with you. And listen, beloved, I wonder how many of us are hung up on mission for God because we are in our own way. Your unbelieving boss isn't in your way. Your unbelieving family member, your atheist coworker, they are not in your way, but that maybe we are in our own way. I'm not ready. Who am I? I don't know enough. I haven't gone to seminary. I haven't read the Bible the whole way through. I don't know all their arguments, and they're probably not even going to believe anyways. Listen, God doesn't need superstars. He's got himself. And Jesus said, as he ascended back to the Father, I will be with you always. Believe that promise from Jesus. I will be with you. And so when you're tucking your kids in at night and you want to pray with them, is knowing that God is with you, is that enough to pray with your kids at night. Is knowing the risen Christ is with you, empowering you, strengthening you, is it enough to ask that friend over lunch, what do you think about Christianity? What do you think Christianity is all about? And maybe you've been praying about going to the nations, going to an unreached people group, planting a church, and you hear in your heart, in your mind, who am I? I mean, I'm not ready for that. I'm not equipped for that. There's no way I could do that. Who am I to think about such a thing? You are someone who has been crucified and raised with Christ. And you have papers from him that say, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. That's who you are. 
And that's who Moses is. And God gives him a sign. Look at what God says to him in verse 12. I'll certainly be with you, and this is going to be a sign to you that I'm the one who sent you, that I'm with you, Moses. Look at what God says. I love this. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you're going to do it, buddy. That's what God's saying. You're going to do it. When you bring them out, and look, God's saying two things. You're going to do it, and it's going to work. You're going to bring the people out, and you will all worship God back at this mountain. We're going to come back right here, and you're going to worship me. You're going to sing to me. Do you see the connections that's happening? How did this, how did this chapter begin? Back in verse 1, where's Moses? Leading a flock of sheep to Mount Sinai. And God is saying, you've already done it. You already led a flock of sheep to Mount Sinai. So why don't you lead another flock this time? Lead my people. Bring them right back here. Moses, you can do it. And I, this time, I'm going to be with you. You've already been training for this moment. So let's just swap out the sheep. Let's put in, you know, almost a million Israelites and let's do this. I'll be with you. There are all kinds of minor moments in your life that you think are insignificant, like leading a flock of sheep to go eat, that God is using to prepare you on mission for his glory. Serving your kids, making their lunches, making dinner, grilling for friends. Add some more plates. Have unbelievers over. You've already learned how to cook for your family, cook for someone else. I don't know if, man, I could, I, oh, you've ever fed other people? You could feed unbelievers. Those tough conversations you have with employees at work, with coworkers, you've already learned how to have hard conversations. So swap out the subject matter and put in the risen Christ. You've been training for how to have difficult, challenging conversations, how to be diplomatic and loving and kind. God is preparing you. And Moses agrees to an extent. Look at verse 13. Then Moses asked God, this first word's amazing, if, if I go, let's say I agree to this burning bush. Um, I'm just amazed God didn't shoot flames at his ankles right then. Like, are you kidding me? I already told you you're going to do it and you'll win. You'll succeed. If I go, what should I say sent me? Hey, guys, the burning plant told me to come. What shrooms were you looking at? No. Now, remember, Moses has already tried to set the people free once. They rejected him. Who put you in charge over us? Get out of here. And he took off running. So he knows they're probably going to reject me again. What should I say? If I agree that what he says in 13, the God of your father sent me, and they ask me, what's his name? What should I tell them? See, Moses, he was trained in Egypt, so he knows all about Egyptian gods and deities, that their names communicate their character and their name has kind of bundled into it what they're over. Egypt, we're going to see it in the plagues. They have gods that are over the Nile, gods that are over the sun, gods that are over light, gods that are over insects. So they had gods over all kinds of things. So he's asking, what are you over? You tell me. How about you? What's your name? What are you like? What are you over? God answers, verse 14. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you should say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is one of the most important words in the whole Bible. This is God's personal name. Four letters in Hebrew, Y-H-W-H. We think it's pronounced as Yahweh. And every time you see it in your Bible as kind of this all caps Lord, this is where it is, Yahweh. 
more is being, it's amazing that God's saying, here's my name. There's also something communicated about that name. So when Moses says, what's your name? God's saying, you want to know my name? You want to know what I'm like? You want to know what I'm in control over, Moses? Okay, I am who I am. It's kind of like, uh, doesn't answer my question. It does. I am who I am. You want to know me? Come and know me. I am who I am. I'm limitless. I'm unrestrictable. I'm eternal. I'm eternal. I've always been who I am. I'm all-powerful. I'm unboxable. Friends, it will take us an eternity to get to know the eternal God, to know the I am, to know that he is who he is, that he will be who he will always be. When God says, I am who I am, he is an, it is an invitation. Come and know me. Discover who I am. And we will discover that he is merciful and gracious, that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that he is faithful to a thousand, ten thousand generations. So tell them, he says, tell them I am. Tell them Yahweh sent you. Who's going to deliver the people? I mean, you could almost answer any question with God's name. Who's going to deliver the people? I am. Is he powerful enough? I am. Can you trust him? I am. You know what Jesus' name, what his name means? It's a compound name, and it means Yahweh saves. God saves. And do you remember what Jesus said? In the New Testament, a group of Jews are angry with Jesus because he's making himself out to be equal with God. And Jesus said, guys, you know what? I've got to tell you, Abraham rejoiced when he saw me. I mean, just imagine if I stood up here and said, George Washington rejoiced when he saw me. Like, okay, you're not even 100 years old, and you think Abraham, you think George Washington saw you? This is exactly what they say when Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced when he saw my day. They respond back to him. You aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus tells them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham existed, I am. Before the earth existed, I am. As he spoke that name, I am who I am, out of that burning bush, he speaks it again in John chapter 8, I am Yahweh. Jesus is God. Before Abraham, before Moses, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and he's going to set the Israelites free just like he sets us free. This is the old, old story of the gospel in mirror form. Exodus then and Exodus offer today. This is what God tells Moses as the passage is ending. He tells him in verse 16, go, assemble the elders. Tell them I'm setting them free. And I know Pharaoh's not gonna listen to you. Pharaoh won't pay attention to the words that I have to say. But know this, I'm going to judge them. I'm going to unleash all my plagues upon them and their gods. And on your way out, the ladies are getting some gold earrings. They're getting Gucci bags. They're going to look better than Meghan Markle. Verses 21. And I will give these people such favor with the Egyptians that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. Each woman will ask her neighbor and any woman staying in her house for silver and gold jewelry and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. You will plunder the Egyptians. So he's saying, you're not going to steal from them. 
This is not some five-finger discount. After the plagues, Egypt and Pharaoh are going to be so happy that you guys are leaving. They'll say, hey, give me, can I have that gold on the way out? Yes, just go. Hey, can I have those, that silver uh, fork and spoon you've been so into? Yes, just take it. Get out of here. And they're going to leave with all of this gold, with all of this silver, and all of these blessings because of the judgment that happened on Egypt. Listen, judgment led to blessing. Judgment led to their salvation. And beloved, judgment led to blessings for us. Egypt and Pharaoh took the brunt of the judgment so Israel could be blessed and freed and saved. And listen, friends, Jesus took the judgment in our place so that you could receive a blessing. Have you? Is that what you believe, that when you see the cross of Christ, you see Christ taking judgment so you can receive a blessing? As the exodus for your sins. Do you see the tomb as an exodus from eternal death towards the promised land of eternal life? To make it to paradise, you must know that Christ takes your pain. Christ takes your sin. And he gives you the plunder of his righteousness the plunder of his perfect life. Listen, as much as we all love to stare into a bonfire, stare into the cross, stare into that tomb, stare into the fire of judgment and see the verdict God gives for all who believe. Forgiven, freed. And now go and proclaim the praises of the I am. Go and tell others, about the judgment and blessing that God offers them in Christ. He is who he is. I am who I am. And let's make his name known. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.